Amen. What a beautiful song. Thank you, Stan, for sharing that with us. Children's Church, we have some good folks ready to take you downstairs, so head to the back of the sanctuary, and they'll be going out to Children's Church. I want to thank Wilma and Marcella Johnson for uh, playing our instruments. Keep praying for Sally Streeter. Sally is trying to fight off bacterial bronchitis, and so she's been very sick. Uh, please say a special prayer for her, but we appreciate Marcella standing in for her while she's sick. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for your love for us and for your presence here this morning. Thank you for how you've already spoken to us through this beautiful music that we have been singing and listening to. And we pray now as we open the Bible that you will continue, Lord, to speak to us the truth of your word. And we come to you with open hearts and minds. And we ask your spirit now to impress upon us what we need to learn from these verses today and from the life of David. Bless our children and those who lead them in children's church. And use this time, Lord, that your word might be planted deep in our hearts. And we know that in due season, in your time, it will bring forth great fruit. We trust you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 19 this morning. We continue looking at some of the events in the life of David. Uh, he's still not on the throne. Uh, he has been anointed uh, by Samuel and by God to be the king of Israel, but he wasn't there yet. I hope if you don't take anything else away from this series, you'll see how the... If you're in the center of God's will, it does not mean everything is going to be easy. That continues to be one of the great plagues on the church and on Christian people is the idea that if you are where, exactly where you need to be in your relationship to God, then everything is going to be going great for you. And you're going to, you're going to, not, you're going to have a smooth road and there won't be any difficulties. That could not be further from the truth. And I, if I'm asked anything more than other questions over the course of my ministry, it has been when there is trouble, when there is difficulty, what did I do wrong to bring this upon me? Something to that effect. Now, it is possible for us to bring bad things on ourselves if we're clearly doing things we shouldn't do. But... Sometimes when you're exactly where God wants you to be and you're close to God, you will be fighting great battles and having great struggles. And we see that here again and again in the life of David. So be encouraged. If you're finding life to be difficult at times, and maybe particularly right now, it doesn't mean that God is not there with you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you have necessarily done anything wrong. You may be exactly where he wants you to be. Just trust him. And that's what we see particularly in this passage from David. We're going to look really at two different uh, passages of Scripture. 1 Samuel 19. And then over in Psalm 59, you know, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. 
And he actually wrote a psalm about this experience in 1 Samuel 19. And so it's interesting to be able to go and get his perspective on what he went through from what he wrote in Psalm 59. But first, let's read the passage in 1 Samuel 19. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning, and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away. From Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel, Samuel at Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. 
And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Sichu. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Now, let's go over quickly to Psalm 59. It's not a really long psalm. And see what David had to say remembering this event in his life. And notice at the beginning of the psalm, it says, To the chief musician set to do not destroy a mictum of David. The word mictum was a word that apparently meant golden or precious. And I think there are six psalms that this is said of about David, that it was a mictum of David, meaning this was a particularly golden or precious remembrance of David. It meant a great deal to him, remembering what God had done for him in the face of the attempts to kill him. Look at Psalm 59. It says that uh, it was a mictum of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. That's what we just read about. David wrote, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold, you therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. At evening they return, they growl like a dog, and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for the cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be and let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your power 
Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. And so having read these two passages, you see what David went through. And so if you are feeling like life has kind of got you knocked down or beaten down, I don't think it's probably too much worse than what David was going through. Life is just that way, isn't it? Even when you're in the center of God's will. What do we see here? In the, the first seven verses of 1 Samuel 19, we see that God prepares people to come to your rescue. He is, the, is our refuge. The Lord is our refuge. David said that God was his refuge. But how did God work? How did God provide help to David? He did it through other people. You see, he had prepared people to rescue David. Jonathan was Saul's son. And he could see what was right and what was wrong. And so imagine what that was like for Jonathan, the son of Saul who also was a great and, and uh, loyal friend to David, looking at his own father, who was still the king of Israel. He knew that his father was wrong. He knew that God had given the kingdom to David. And so Jonathan was really in the middle, wasn't he? What was he going to do? He chose to do what was right. It wasn't easy for him. It's never easy. It's seldom easy, I should say, to do the right thing. It's often very hard. But Jonathan was available to God to do the right thing. Saul ordered Jonathan and others to kill David in those first verses that we read. But he refused because he knew it was not right, right there at the beginning of the passage. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan knew it wasn't right. And so he stood up for what God wanted. Think about how hard that was for him. And yet Jonathan was a model for us to not blindly go along with people who are close to us, with our circle of friends, with the group that we're a part of, maybe even our own family members, to not just go along with them in whatever they want to do simply because they want to do it. He was willing to say to his own father, no, this isn't right. Don't do this. He, in his discussion with Saul, as we read, he even told him, don't sin this way. He let Saul know it would be a sin for him to kill David. He stood up for his friend. And he stood up for the plan and the purpose of God. He talked to his father. He reasoned with him. And for the moment, he got Saul to relent. Saul, you know, was this, uh, this person who was just in incredible turmoil afflicted with this distressing spirit from the Lord, whatever that was. Some believe it was actually an evil spirit. You, you know, God has everything at his disposal. God is not going to do anything that's evil, but he does have even those who are evil at his disposal to accomplish his purpose. 
and to accomplish his will. It may simply mean that he caused Saul to be in great chaos and turmoil inside. Distressed, depressed, and of course all of it a result of his own sin. His own rebellion against God. The more people rebel against God, the more distressed they're going to become. But God can do anything he needs to do to accomplish his purpose. And so Jonathan talked to him, got him talked down to to be reasonable. And it said that David went back as it was before. But it didn't last very long, did it? Because the next time... uh, battle came and David went out and won another great victory, that same spirit of envy and jealousy and pride rose within Saul and he was back to wanting to kill David. But notice here how God prepared someone to help David when he needed help. You see, God knows what's out there ahead of us. He knows when we'll need a refuge. And God can even now be preparing someone to help you when you need help. You may not even know the person. You may not have any idea what's coming. But God prepares people to do his will. And then a question from verse 4 just to take note of. Is God preparing you to come to someone's rescue? He used Jonathan to come to the rescue of David. This is not just pages, you know, on, uh, of Scripture, and it's something happened hundreds and thousands of years ago, and it has no relation to us today. Is God preparing you to help somebody? To be the refuge for a person who is in need? I'm just posing the question. It may very well be. That there's somebody that you need to speak well of. Verse 4 says, then Jonathan spoke well of David. That's a powerful statement. It would have been easier for Jonathan to say nothing. Or to just go along with his father. His father was still the king. And I hope you realize, see, Jonathan would have been the one in line to be the king. But he was so committed to God. That he was willing to say, okay, Lord, if David is the anointed one, I must, he must increase, but I must decrease. Like John the Baptist said about Jesus. He was willing to fade into the background and to support whatever God desired. So he spoke well of David. It would have been easier for him not to. Is there somebody in your circle of life that you need to speak up for? Somebody at work? Somebody in your own family? Maybe God wants you to be the person to come to the rescue of that individual. Maybe everybody else is, is uh, running the person down, bad-mouthing the person, speaking evil against the person. Maybe you're the one who needs to speak up. We need to be willing to let God use us if he's moving us to be that person. We see it in our society all the time, don't we? We see it in our own country right now. There are people who are are just, they're just like a mob of jackals howling, a howling mob. And there are people who are afraid to speak up. They're afraid to say anything because they don't want to get hit with what these people want to do. 
And so wherever we happen to be, in, in our workplace, in our home, in our community, if there's someone that God lays on your heart that you need to stand up for and stand up with, don't be afraid to do it. Maybe God is preparing you to be the way of refuge for that person. We need to be open to God's leadership. And if that's not your situation right now, it may be coming. That may be why you're hearing this message today. Maybe this week or a month from now, this situation is going to arise. And God is going to want you to speak well of someone. And then in verses 11 to 17, God has everyone and everything at his disposal. We read through that entire passage. God had placed Saul's own daughter. You see how God had worked? He put Saul's son in David's life. They became close friends. And then Michael, the daughter of Saul, actually became David's own wife. And so she helped him to escape now, she wasn't totally truthful with her father when he confronted her. It's very, it's almost comical. You know, the scripture has lots of humor in it if you uh, are, are willing to see it. Because if you notice this passage when Michael had helped David to escape and then Saul confronted, uh, confronted her about it, uh, we find Saul saying to her, why did you deceive me like that? As if Saul was this upstanding person who never did anything deceitful. Here he was trying to kill David. And he's upset with his daughter for not telling, for not telling him the whole truth. Isn't that just like human nature? We can see things in other people that we don't like. And we, we can complain about it. But do we see in ourselves that perhaps we're guilty of the same kind of thing or worse? We just always feel justified when we do it. We've got a good reason to do it. Well, God was using both Jonathan and Michael to save the life of David, to provide this refuge that he needed to get from where he was to where God ultimately intended him to be. And that's how God works. It sometimes looks really messy, and we would say, well, if I was writing the story, I wouldn't do it the way God did it here. I'd do it a, a nicer way. I'd do it a cleaner way. Well, we're not God, are we? God can do it any way he wants to. And whatever he does, by definition, is right, is good. God knew what he was doing. But he was using people to provide what David needed. And you know what? He's using people in your life to help you. To get from where you were to where you are now. And to get from where you are now to where he wants you to be. You may not even realize it. But he's using others to help you. And he'll continue to do that. And then in verses 18 to 24. The power of God is greater than the plans of men. You have this really bizarre uh, experience where Saul when he found out where David had fled to David went and found Samuel Samuel of course was there when Saul became the king and he also was there when David was chosen to be the next king so he ran to Samuel and there he was with him 
And so Saul, when he found out, he sent messengers to go there to take David, to arrest him, to bring him so that he could kill him or have him killed. And what happened when they got there, the first group of messengers? Well, when they saw Samuel and the others, the other prophets that were prophesying there, the Spirit of God came upon them, and they began to prophesy. Now, understand that prophesy, the word prophecy or prophesy, it can mean telling the future, or it can simply mean forth-telling, speaking the truth of God. And so they began to agree with the prophets, and they were speaking the truth of God. The Spirit of God came upon them and changed them so that they could not comply with Saul, but instead they began to say what God wanted them to say. And so Saul heard that it happened. He sent another group. Same thing happened to them. And then he had to do it a third time. And then finally we read where it said, Then Saul also went to Ramah. He decided, I sent all these messengers. They don't do what I have asked. I'm just going to go do it myself. And what happened to him? When he got there, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, who had left him previously, came upon him. And he could not help but speak the truth. He couldn't, come, he couldn't do what he went there to do either. God protected David. The power of God is greater than the plans of men. Saul thought he would have David arrested and could bring him to his death. But God had other plans. And God did something amazing here when Saul went. He not only prophesied, he not only spoke the truth of what God was doing, but it says there in verse 24, And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Now, some might read that and say, well, Saul just went around the bend, didn't he? He just went crazy. This is symbolically significant. Because for him to strip off all of his clothes, he was taking off all the kingly garments and there he lay down naked before the Lord, prostrated himself. And what did that signify? That God had taken the kingdom away from Saul. Saul went there to arrest and take David to his death, and he ended up carrying out an acted parable, showing, demonstrating with his own actions that David indeed would be the next king. The kingdom was gone from him. God had stripped it away. And there he lay helpless, defenseless before God. Now, it was still going to be a while before it actually happened. But really, it was already done. Saul was a lame duck. God had already made his decision. And God demonstrated here again and again that his power was greater than the plans of men. And then closing with Psalm 59, 16, and 17 that we read earlier, trust in God. Trust in God as your defense and refuge. That's what David said that he was doing. He trusted in the Lord as his defense and his refuge in the day of trouble. That's what he wrote in Psalm 59. He asked God for help, for deliverance, and by faith, he trusted God to provide, and God did provide. Look at how God verified David's statement of faith. He was David's defense. David had nothing. 
He had no way to defend himself. But God brought people into his life. And then when God needed to directly intervene by the power of his spirit, he took those people who came to arrest him and they instead began to speak the truth of God. And then Saul himself was brought low, completely naked before God and everyone, as they say, to demonstrate that the kingdom had been taken away from him. Sometimes it may seem we are utterly defenseless without help, without hope, with just a pack of wolves after us. Nobody speaking up for us. Nobody defending us. But you know what? God is a majority of one. If the Lord is on your side, if you are where God wants you to be, God will be there to help you. He's going to be there to help you. He is our defense. He is our refuge. We don't need anyone else. This reminded me of Exodus 14. Remember when the people of Israel finally had left Egypt after all the plagues? Pharaoh finally said, get out of here. Go. Go. And they started on their way out of Egypt, headed toward the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh changed his mind in his anger, in his jealousy, in his envy. And he got the army and they started to pursue the people of Israel. And they had nowhere to go, did they? They were between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. What was going to happen? How could they survive that? It looked hopeless. But then in Exodus 14, 13, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes that's where we are. We're between a rock and a hard place with no seeming answers or hope. And we think, what can we do? And there's that voice from the Scripture saying, do not be afraid, fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. He did that for David, and he will do that for us. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you for what you did in the life of David and how we can still learn about you, about who you are, about what you will do from what you did so many years ago. And, Lord, if we'll think back through our own lives, perhaps we can even see moments where you have fought for us, where you have provided a way when there seemed to be no way. People, circumstances in which you have stood up for us. Lord, we look back and think of the cross as that greatest moment when you stood up for us. Weak, sin sinful, hopeless, helpless. But there you were to take our place 
and to stand up for us that we might have life everlasting. If there are decisions that need to be made here this morning, Lord, we pray you will move among us and move in our hearts that we might be willing to follow your direction and your leadership. And Lord, maybe someone here today is just weary. They're worn out. They don't know what to do. Help them to just be like David and say, Lord, I need you. I have nowhere else to turn. You be my refuge. Please be my defense. And we know, Lord, that you are beyond capable. You are more than able to do whatever is necessary to accomplish your will. So help us to follow you as you lead us now. And may we glorify you now in our thoughts and in our decisions. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.